I know I can beat her. You know you can beat her. Very confident. confident. I'm very confident. You say it so easily. Why? Why? Because I believe it. And let me tell you why. What she has said, she said it with so much confidence the first time. But if you keep going on and on, you Listen, we can't keep interrupting. I mean, if you want. You've got to understand that you're dealing with an image of a 14 year old child. And this child going to be out there playing when your old ass and me going to be in the grave. When she says something, we done told you what's happening. You're dealing with a little black kid and let her be a kid. She done answered it with a lot of confidence. Leave that alone. ambition and will seeks inspiration confidence ambition will and inspiration is the recipe for hope poverty is the apex predator of hope arise from hopelessness takes an unwavering defiant disposition sprinkled in some God-given talent, and you have the quote, the greatest woman of all times, Flint, Michigan's extraordinary daughter, Clarissa Shields. Clean drinking water from your tap. Many of us take it for granted. Not in Flint, Michigan, though. Five years ago today, officials in Flint switched the city's drinking water source. That set the stage for what would become a crippling lead crisis. Since then, residents have seen their children's blood lead levels spike. Michigan Radio's Steve Carmody reports. It all began with an optimistic toast on April 25, 2014. Here's the Flint. Here's the flag. Here it is. With plastic glasses filled with tap water, Flint Mayor Dane Walling and other city and state officials toasted the switch of the city's drinking water from Detroit's water system to the Flint River. It was done in an effort to save the struggling city millions of dollars. It ended up instead throwing Flint into chaos and costing the mayor his job. And several of those who toasted the switch that day were indicted on criminal charges stemming from what would become the Flint water crisis. At first, Flint's nearly 100,000 residents complained their tap water was undrinkable, cloudy, foul-smelling, tasting of chemicals, or worse. That was followed by multiple E. coli outbreaks, and eventually the city acknowledging it was in violation of the Safe Drinking Water Act. But government officials persisted in defending the water as safe to drink. 
Increasingly, Flint residents didn't believe them, taking to the streets, demanding the city return to Detroit's water system. It took a year and a half before government officials finally did switch back, after independent testing revealed that improperly treated river water damaged pipes, releasing lead into the city's drinking water. It was only revealed after the city's drinking water was switched back that a Legionnaire's disease outbreak had killed at least a dozen people during the switch. There are conflicting scientific opinions as to whether the Flint River water was the source of the outbreak. In the past few years, 15 city and state officials have been indicted, about half have cut plea deals, no one has gone to jail, and the remaining criminal cases are stalled as Michigan's new attorney general tries to decide how to proceed. Meanwhile, multiple civil lawsuits against state and federal agencies and private contractors are grinding their way through the courts. After the switch, Flint was left with thousands of damaged water pipes, families surviving on bottled water, and a city's psyche damaged. damaged. <laughs> What is Michigan's emergency manager law, Public Act 436, which was pushed through after a similar law, PA4, was defeated in a two-to-one statewide referendum? We went to City Hall to find out. Eric Mays, First Ward City Councilman for the City of Flint. I represent the First Ward, which is the farthest north end of the City of Flint, about 11,000 residents. I would say it's about 96% or so black, and, um, you know, we've got all the issues, high crime, abandoned houses. So explain how the emergency manager worked and how the decision was made to switch to the Flint River. If you look at Public Act 436 and even Public Act 4, Whenever a city was in so-called, quote-unquote, or, quote, emergency financial distress or financial trouble, unquote, whoever defined that and however the city got there with a general fund budget deficit, um, the governor would appoint a review team, and the re review team might recommend an emergency manager come in. In my opinion, some of that was created because the governor took revenue sharing away from cities and helped create financial distress, about $55 million at some point from the city of Flint. Wait, you're saying they take the money from Flint and they send it elsewhere in Michigan? In this case, our money was taken from Flint, Detroit, and other municipalities, and the governor then boasted, in some cases, a surplus for the state. And so that's why we say, in some cases, the governor helped create the deficit and then would send in a emergency manager. So explain what happened. How was the decision made? In about April of 2014, I got a notification that it was some activity going on over at the water plant. And when I got there, the emergency manager was there down there early. The mayor was there. Council people was there. I was one of them. I seen other officials there. The police chief was there. And when I caught on to what was going on, it was a countdown. 
10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then the button was pushed and one light went on red and yeah, green, and you know, it's recorded and documented. And so then after that, there was a gathering in the plant because this button is pushed outside in the back somewhere. And then we walked from there and then they did a toast. And you know, the show we're drinking now, river water. And because of the stigma of the river, I wouldn't really, I, I held it up, but I didn't feel comfortable guzzling it down with them. And they was, go ahead and drink. And I was like, uh, you know, so, you know, that's kind of what went down. So I was leery from the beginning, but I had no idea. I knew nothing about um, some of the bacteria. I knew nothing about um, TTHMs, trihalomethanes. I knew nothing about lead, and I knew nothing about possible legionnaires. So you introduced a bill uh, in March of 2015 to say return to Detroit's water. What happened to it? I put a motion on the floor, and um, that motion passed seven or eight to one to return to the Detroit water. And I think then President Josh Freeman was the only no vote. And so the emergency manager, I think it was then emergency manager Ambrose, I think he talked publicly like that was not something that was smart or shouldn't have been done. He used some distinct he, words. He used the word, it's incomprehensible that your city council voted seven to one to go back to Detroit's water. I have the quote of the emergency manager, Jerry Ambrose, who said, Flint water today is safe by all U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and Michigan Department of Environmental Quality standards. And the city is working daily to improve its quality. It's incomprehensible to me that seven members of the Flint City Council would want to send more than $12 million a year to the system serving Southeast Michigan, even if Flint ratepayers could afford it. Lake Huron water from Detroit is no safer than the water from Flint. Well, he was wrong. In my opinion, he was wrong. And it was not meeting all the EPA standards. We found out Kurt Guyette with the ACLU did some good research, and, you know, he discovered to me that um, the city of Flint was submitting samples of water where they had been pre-flushing, which you shouldn't pre-flush when you're testing for certain things. Water should set at least for six hours, and then you test. We found out they were testing maybe certain places that didn't have lead pipes. And so there was some what we call skewed testing samples. That was Flint City Councilman Eric Mays. He sponsored the legislation to switch Flint back to Detroit water half a year before the governor finally allowed the city to switch back. Poverty is the apex predator of hope, a rise from hopelessness. Texan unwavering, defiant disposition, sprinkled in some God-given talent, and you have 
The quote, the greatest woman of all times, Flint, Michigan's extraordinary daughter, Clarissa Shields. Shields. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got the one and only. Welcome to the Rick Smiley Morning Show. The one and only Flint, the uh, America's beloved council member of uh, Flint, but America, because we all love it. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Mays. Eric Mays in the building. <laughs> Man, we happy to have you this morning. It's good to be here, Mr. Smiley. Yes, Where sir. I'm from, Mr. Smiley. Yes, sir. <laughs> Mr. Mays, what brings you to Dallas, Texas? Oh, man, I had a Flint to Dallas connection. Yes, we call him Ray Ray. Right. But Ray Ray here with me now. He had me come in. They had a white party, a picnic, people from Flint and Dallas. It was kind of real good. Yeah. And so while I was in Dallas, hell, I had a guy call me, talk to him personally. That was you. Yes, sir. I said, I don't go nowhere. I don't too much leave Flint. I need to holler at Ricky Smiley before yeah. I leave Dallas and look. Because I saw the video when you got when you said DFW Apple and said, hey, where's Ricky Smiley? I was about to get on the plane. And I posted the video. I said, I am on my way, so I promise I'm going to find you. And then you get to Dallas, come to find out you in my building. You downstairs. Like out of all the buildings downtown, you in the building. I was getting ready to board the plane yesterday and when I got the word from you. I left the airport and come back. Yes, sir. So. And we have it ahead. Absolutely. So let, let's get right into it. Like, everyone loves you. Everyone knows about you. We just had people coming to the studio as, before we started this interview, and they, like, saw you sitting here and lit up like a Christmas tree. I was sitting downtown <laughs> Dallas, you know, reminding me of Eddie Murphy coming to America. Yeah. This lady seen me. She looked, huh? did a double take. Oh, my God. Eric Mason, I ain't used to that. <laughs> yeah. People doing that. So whatever is happening in social media is just like mainstream media. Something is going on. Right. Now I'd be sixty I'm sixty four, I'd be sixty five. Right. I ain't been on the internet and I ain't been on TikTok and looking at it. But I'm smart enough to know. Something going on. telling me, and I'm getting calls from across the country. Something's going on. Something is going on. They, 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 they like it. I've been watching you for about five years. Yeah. Uh, after that first incident, man, I laughed at that video, and then I didn't know it was more videos. I started watching all the videos, and yeah. I was like, what? Who put these videos together? Man? I don't know. It looked like it coming out of the security camera in the city, in, in the city hall. Yeah. You see it all, though. Yeah. Yeah, we got them all right now. Look at that. Well, you my main media, man. I'm going to team up with you. We're going to make this happen and communicate accurately. Um, I was listening earlier to you talking about Jason Hurts. Jason Hurts. Yes, we run in a city with 51 million. He could run Flint twice. No, he got more than 51 million. It's 200. Man, he got 255 million, 51 Two, per year. 51 yep. per year. Yes, sir. And that's like our general fund budget. We got our 94 million in our funds. I'm, when I get back, I'm fighting right now for residents to benefit from that money. I want to help people get roofs on their houses, vinyl side, windows, whatever. And I'm going to see if them um, Eric Macy's is on the council of them handkerchief head Negroes. I'm going to see if they fight me on this. Now, Ms. Mays, now you said the COVID money that came into the state of Michigan, uh, how is that money being distributed uh, 
you know, to your constituents that how do they benefit and who's trying to come in and get the money? What some of the art, some of the fight. See, we see the fights, but a lot of people don't know what the fights the are details, about. Right. The details. Um, Michigan got their allocation of COVID money, but each city, township, and village and school boards got allocations. Our allocations for the city of Flint amounted to about $94 million. We done doled out about 30 or 40 million and we got 50 million left. A lot of the big shots come in and, 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 and put their hands out and get that money. I'm fighting for 20 million of it to go directly to residents for a category called home improvements. There's various categories, home improvements, public safety, um, blight, you know, cleaning up. And so I wanna make sure that in the residential area, the home improvement and businesses, businesses we can allocate this money. And these are grants. This money don't have to be paid back. Mm -hmm. I got a black business I'm shooting for from old Pete used to play up at Michigan State with the team Cleveland. He bought a downtown building. And by, by the way, you're a graduate of Michigan State University. I am. I was in the dorm with Magic Johnson. He came and helped me. Um, I was old school from 76 to 81. I was Michigan State. I was a walk-on in football because Magic and Kelsey and them had basketball wrapped up. Yeah. So, um, it came out in 79. Yeah, I'm a Spartan, so. You know, my degree is political science, pre-law. Now, is that a coincidence? I worked for General Motors for mm, 30 years. I started my political career as the third vice president of the Flint branch of the NAACP, political action chairperson. I used to have to attend council meetings and report back. We dealt with police brutality issues, so forth and so on. So that was at age 21. So I've been around city council politics in Flint for over 40 years. But I was elected in uh, November of 2013. I'm in my 10th year as an elected official and I got four more years before I have to run again. Someone's, not, not right, I know you got, but I, I have a, somebody told me that this is just, I'm talking to somebody from Flint. They say you're the type of council member that if somebody have a problem, they can come right to, they they come right to your house like 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 you so personable like like a lot of people be like I'm busy okay we'll get to it it's like you just kind of like um, you ain't the type of person that's gonna go talk to my people go talk yeah, like come I, talk to I, me I think I've been successful because look at how it's set up with this technology and I'm old school <laughs> when people call me. I do a three-way call with the department, whether it's street maintenance, whether it's garbage, whether it's um, whatever. When they call, I say, Councilman, hold on. Then I do a three-way call and use my voice as a liaison. So the three-way calling helps my office phone just call forward to my cell phone. So I don't too much miss nothing. You can look at your cell phone and see missed calls. So I think the key to my success is um, being able to return calls and service people. Then you get in the meeting and it's a whole different dynamic. Everybody want to be the president, the vice president, the chairperson, and that internal fight blocks stuff. But I'm the senior council person. This is the third group of council people I work with, the third mayor and so forth and so on. So. Um, I can't let them run me over. 
That's why I say when they go low, you go low. Can you shed some more light on the fire chief being terminated for not saving kids? Yeah, that's a big issue. Um, you had two black males, I think right around the ages of nine and 12, they were in a house. Two white firefighters came in, looked at the house and issued all clear. Well, one was right by the doorway in the bedroom, the other one was on the bed. Later on, about six minutes later, black firefighter come, he does a thorough search, he finds the two children. Had the first ones found them, they still might be alive to this day. That six minutes was crucial. The fire chief was fixing the fire. The um, white officers, it was in the middle of an election for Mayor Ricky, and the mayor ended up firing the black fire chief for doing the right thing. He was getting ready to fire the white folks who overlooked the kids. That has now turned into a $60 million lawsuit. And so I'm very concerned about the decisions that the mayor is presently making. I worked with the previous mayor, Karen Weaver. We came up with the strategy to declare the water emergency. We got national recognition. President Obama at the time came in. And so when you work with three different councils and three different mayors and you see the details and the mechanics of how stuff works, you look at who's honest, who's deceitful, it makes a major difference. So I'm gonna stay the course. I'm gonna say what I gotta say. I'm gonna speak what I gotta speak. I'm gonna tell the truth. And then one day I'm gonna retire as a councilman. Man, hey, we, we are so happy to have you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Let everybody know how they can follow you on social media. You on, Are you on Facebook? I'm learning about <laughs> Right, you got right. TikTok and all of that. Yeah. I'm going to hire you as my media consultant. Okay. Or I'll you be can glad give to me do some it. pro bono coaching. Yes, sir. Because I'm just used to the phone. I'm old school. I'm learning. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess there's two ways that I done found out. We've got a TikTok page. Okay. We've got a GoFundMe um, call. It's just Eric Mays. You can find this stuff yes, with sir. Eric Mays. And then the rest of the titles and so forth and so on. But, you know, this is the best way to get to me. Right. 810-922-4860. That's my cell phone. Now, man, we love you, man. Thank you for what you do, man. Uh, you just kind of like a, a favorite there, like the internet. On, Everybody just love your spirit, your energy, your vibe. We don't know all the details of the argument, man, but you are a hilarious man. Yeah, I don't know all the details. One council person told me I was Boliviating. <laughs> I ain't looked that up yet. I say I don't know if I'm Boliviating, navigating, or exaggerating in this thing. What the hell they talking about? I'm tripping. I'm tripping in them council meetings. I'm like, man. We absolutely love you, ladies and gentlemen. What's that? What Boliviating me. Point of order, all talking should cease. Yeah. Right. And the chair should ask 
Oh, so that's what that means. When, when you say point of order, that means that's all That's the time. highest privilege motion in parliamentary procedure. If you're in a meeting and they really acted by parliamentary procedure, when you say point of order, the room should get quiet. The chair should ask, what's your point? You should tell them what's in order and what's out of order and then move forward. If you disagree, you can appeal the decision of the chair and so forth and so on. A point of information is a quick inquiry to the speaker. When I was in the UAW, I used to be the parliamentarian in the union meeting. And so when you got 100 or 200 people in a meeting um, and you the referee, um, I learned a lot coming out of the General Motors workers and UAW folks. But, right. So that's what that is. All across the nation, they got T-shirts now with maze on it. Point of order. I'm like, y'all do what y'all want. Everybody have fun. But I want them to know when you say point of order, all talking should cease, and they should try to find out what technicality you're talking about. And, and again, point of information, because I heard you say that. It's a quick inquiry to the speaker to clarify something. If you say it's 50 million that we're trying to spend for the residents, and I know it's 80 million, I should say point of information, do you mean 50 million or 80 million? But I can't take the floor, it's a quick inquiry. Mm. Oh, what's the other one he always say that, that I, what's, what's the other one he, uh, because well, I, I want to know what all this stuff means because we hear it and uh, you... I, I appeal the ruling of the chair yes yeah, when you appeal the ruling of the chair if I say point of order you forgot to read the minutes and the chair say well I ain't going to read them now I read them later I can appeal any ruling of the chair but I have to do it immediately what I'm in court for we had a bogus rule that some of our meetings go on four or five hours and if I want to get up, I'm old. I'm the oldest one there. If I want to get up to go to the restroom or whatever, I have to ask permission of the chair to be excused. So I got arrested after getting permission and coming back. You can't come back. I'm like, yes, you can. Well, I have to appeal the ruling of the chair. You gave me permission. I can get up. I can come back. That's in court right now. Next Tuesday, um, we'll have a hearing because the chair at that time, the white lady, Miss Herkin, wrote excuse me <laughs> <laughs> on video. And then she get in court, raise the right hand, swear to tell the truth, and say she didn't excuse me. Well, just like them police cases, we got the video evidence. Now, the other white lady that you put out, yeah, thrown out. The one who gave me the finger. She was out of there. I wanted to cuss her out, man. How you gonna give me the finger? I'm chairing a meeting in the council meeting. Right. And you had them come That's get out some nasty. All white folks ain't nasty. But them was a couple nasty. She didn't win. She right. gone. Some of them folks who I be arguing with didn't win really late. That's not the one you said called the two nasty women. Yeah. One of them got the worst attendance record of anybody else. That's worthy. Kate Fields, look, she on that video there. She gone. So she gone. So you got her out. What you done did to get her out? I went over there and knocked some doors and told on her. <laughs> Old school. Now, 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 what about him? Who is it? Three. 
Do we need to like him? He reminded me of Santa Claus, but he teamed up with Kate Fields. So he teamed up with her. He gone too. Now what about her? She's still there. That's my main role. Now she goes, she goes. And what about now? I saw you and him with the ponytail get the argument. Yeah, he was, but then he. He do better playing that guitar than he do in politics. But y'all cool he, now. He gone. He gone. He gone. So you had something to do getting him out of there. I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> but but who is that though? Oh, that's that man. That's that man. Who's that man? What's your name? What's your name? That's me. That's my man. I had on black. But Ricky, you done give you done give me some gear. Oh, that's nice. I'm on yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm coming into the um, council meeting looking like you. Yes, sir. Now, I get through up with this uh I'ma send you one. I'm, I'm, I, I got another one for you. I'm gonna send it Man, to you. I'm gonna talk about it. Point of order. Y'all see my Dodging <laughs> 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 smiley morning show. Hey. I'm gonna wake him up when I get back. Yes, sir. Oh, God. Eric Mays, ladies and gentlemen, one more time, y'all missing all this. Yes, 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 that's good. That's good. Poverty is the apex predator of hope. Arise from hopelessness. Takes an unwavering, defiant disposition, sprinkled in some God-given talent. And you have the quote, the greatest woman of all times, Flint, Michigan's extraordinary daughter, Clarissa Shields. Shields. Before we start today's show, we want to share some big news in the Radiotopia family. You Get a Podcast is back with two months of new episodes. On You Get a Podcast, historians Leah wright Rigger and Kelly Carter-Jackson break down the most iconic moments from the Oprah Winfrey Show's long history. Their latest episodes are delving even deeper into the queen of talk, from her complicated relationship with hip-hop to her legendary road trip with Gail King. So check it out. Listen every Wednesday starting in June at YouGetAPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Radiotopia. From PRX. From PRX's Radiotopia, this is Radio Diaries. I'm Joe Richman. On today's show, Teen Contender Then and Now. Boxing has been an Olympic sport since the time of the ancient Greeks, but for most of that history, it's been just for men. That changed in 2012 at the Summer Olympics in London. Women boxers were finally allowed to compete, and one of the women who made history that year was a teenager from Flint, Michigan. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner by a score of 19 points to 12, an Olympic gold medalist in the red corner representing the United States of America, Clarissa Shields. Before her gold medal in London, Clarissa Shields was a high school student training in a basement gym in Flint. Even in boxing circles, few people knew her name. But that's when I met her through my wife, Sujay Johnson. She's a writer and photographer. She was documenting women boxers at the time, some of the women who might go on to compete in the Olympics. We asked Clarissa if she would keep an audio diary as she was training in the months before the Olympic trials. 
Today, at the age of 25, Clarissa is considered the Muhammad Ali of women's boxing, and we'll bring you a story about that later in the show. But first, this is Clarissa's diary back when she was a teenager from Flint with a dream and a tape recorder. All right. Well, we're going to start with my name is Clarissa Shields. I'm 16. I've been boxing since I was 11. My record is 19 and 0. Yeah, undefeated. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Bob I have this dream. I'm in England, London, and it's the finals in the Olympics. I, I can hear the announcer. I mean, they're going to say it like, and the first woman Olympian at 165 pounds is Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields! And in my dream, I'm just looking around and I'm just thinking to myself, like, how did I get here? Hello, testing, testing. Good morning. This is Clarissa again. That's my alarm. Right now, I'm sleeping on the couch at my aunt's house. I just moved in probably about a month and a half ago. She has three kids, and me and my little brother live with her, so it's like she got five kids, really. We all live in the same house. Hold on a second, my little cousin crying. Okay. Tanaysia, where's Tanaysia at? Why do I live with my aunt? Well, my mom, you know, she um has her own problems. You know, more bad days than good days. It just wasn't helping me with my boxing. So I just, I just had to move out. Crack my neck, wash my face real fast, and head out. Peanut, later. Sound of footsteps. It's snowing. Out here look all pretty. Like white Christmas trees. Today is 30 days before the Olympic trials. <laughs> wow. Today's a new day. And there is no sunshine. I think it's the time in everybody's life where no matter if you got good parents or bad parents, it's your time to decide if you want to go left or if you want to go right. Before boxing, my goal was to have 10 kids before I was 26. I wanted to have a big old family, a lot of kids. I thought I would have been a good mom too, but no, I ain't thinking about that right now though. <laughs> yeah. What's up, champ? We're at my dad's house, and we're about to watch the DVD of me boxing. I think I got about eight now on DVD. And um, he gonna talk trash. Watch how you gonna come out now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> see, with no jab, no action. You see how she was wasting punches? Yeah, she wasted energy. For those who didn't know, my dad was a boxer. They said he was real good. They used to call him Cannonball. I had a career as a, a underground fighter. We'd go from state to state here and there fighting guys. I fought in barns, closed army bunkers. You understand what I'm saying? You know, we was dirty fighters, you know? You fought until one of y'all couldn't stand no more. You it, know what I'm like? It's illegal. It's yeah, totally it's illegal. You know, uh, I one time could have turned pro, I think, but I started winding up in and out of prison. and. When I came home from prison, that was the first time I seen you since you was two. Yeah, you had braids in your hair? Mm -hmm. That's what I remember. Mm -hmm. Yes. My dad, 
He went to prison when I was two and got out when I was nine. You remember the first conversation we ever had about boxing? Yeah. One day we was riding in my van, I think it was, and we was kicking it. Mm-hmm. I told a story about the fact that I used to fight and that none of my children or no one else in my family had picked up the torch and became a boxer. So I was like, okay, maybe you can kind of like live your dream through me a little bit. And about a week later, you know, you asked me, could you box? And my answer was, hell no. Do you exactly. remember the exact words that, that you said? You said boxing is a man's sport. That made me so, it made me so mad. And you should have took it that way. That was a chauvinist <laughs> statement that a girl can't do it. So, you know, you, you was right. And I've been at it ever since. I'm still proving people wrong. Truth be known, I just think, little mama, you are awesome. Hello, this is Clarissa again. I'm at Burston Field House right now. And it is 17 days before the Olympic trials. You ready, Russ? Hurry up. Okay, hold on. Coach, can you explain to me what's going on right now, uh, Mr. Jason Crutchfield? Coach Crutchfield. You're going to spar with them two guys right there. Come on, y'all, get ready. Ready. Bye. Good shot. Let him go. Right there, Rail. There you go. Let it go right there. To me, the gym was a beautiful place. You know, as soon as I walk in there, it's like all stress just, just, it just leaves you. If they would let me live there, I would. I mean, we got a bathroom upstairs for showers. I bring my clothes, pillow, a nice size cover. Probably make me a pallet in the ring. Cut the light off and then just go to sleep. That's a good shot there. Come on, ref. Let's go. Stay into it. Sloppy, sloppy. Don't get sloppy. Keep yourself together. Well, I can remember her dad brought her down to the gym. She was 11 years old. 11. And he told, he told me, he asked me, he said, hey, um, my daughter won a box. A week after that, I noticed how she was punching aggressive and fast and her fire, her hunger. Man. A coach always wants a champion. That's why we coach. We want to help the kids and stuff like that, but the first thing is to have a champion. Now look, I think I got one. <laughs> I just never thought it was going to be a girl. All right, come here, Russ. You got to do 15 minutes of ice, 15 minutes of heat. You got me? Hello. <laughs> hey. Russ. Turn that phone off. I'm playing back, okay? Alright. Who is this boy? Uh. What What did you do? I mean. Ain't no big deal. Dang. So you'd rather talk to the boy than be at the Olympic trials? Come on now. What kind of question is that? You know how close this thing is? Mm-hmm. Real close. You don't need anything that's going to take your attention somewhere else. Nothing. Psst. Whatever. I like boys. Can't help it. That's cool, but just keep it platonic. What that mean? Nothing but a friendship. If you like him, drop him. Me, ooh, nothing. Russell, you're up against a lot. When we go to these Olympic trials, you're going to be up against grown women that are stronger than you. Then you got to go to school, 
They ain't got homework. All they got to do is box. These people hungry. Mm. It makes sense. You gifted. You real good. But you're not ready yet. We almost there. We're not there yet. Well, I'm strong-minded. I'm not going to let nobody feed me off in the wrong direction. Russell, look at me. Just stay focused. You got all your life for boys. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing right here. Right now we are at Antioch Missionary Baptist Church. I came to talk to them about supporting me getting to Spokane, Washington for the Women Olympic Trials. And uh, every little bit helps. This young lady here got an opportunity to go to the Olympics. Ain't you undefeated? Yes. She's undefeated. Hi, I just like to introduce myself. I'm a female boxer at Braxton Fieldhouse. I've been boxing since I was 11 years old. I've been training very hard, and, and I do believe in God. I'm just asking that if you want to give anything, it, it'll all help. That's all. Well, congratulations, Thank you. There's so many young girls out there, they fight, but they're not fighting for the right reasons. You know what I'm saying? We really do need people like you in this city. Yes, yeah. sir. Come and go. She won this, that would really do a lot for our city. Flint, the murder capital, the highest unemployment rate. Everybody looking at Flint like Flint's just a ghost town, like we don't even exist, you know. And we can pull that off, oh my God. This would show them that through all that, something good came out of Flint. Clarissa Shields. And the thing about it is, I think we're going to do it. I feel like it's meant for us. Hello? So what's going on with you? Doing all right. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. My dad was going to come to the Olympic Trials in Spokane. Dad, where you at right now? Huh? Where you at right now? Uh, down at the county. And look. He called me. And uh, he had been arrested. The back tail light of the car was messed up and he got pulled over and he had warrants out for his arrest. I don't know what he did to get the warrants. So I just wanted to call you and tell you I love you. Oh, okay. And good luck. And make sure of all the things you do, make sure you say your prayers. Yeah. All the time. Okay, baby. Bye-bye. Bye. Why you always wait for me to hang up for? I want to be heard your voice last. All right, one, two, three. When I say three, go. Hang up. Okay. All right, ready? One, two, three, go. <sighs> Everything in life that I've ever wanted, I I've always got it. I mean, besides money or besides, yeah, besides money stuff, but out of everything I've ever wanted, I've always got it. But at the end of the day, I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know what's going to happen.
So, good night. Hello, testing, testing. Okay, this Clarissa again. Right now, I'm just um, I'm just getting my mind ready, getting warm. Jab and pop, 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 pop. Jab right here. Boop, boop. <sighs> I'm just letting stuff sink in. Mm, mm, mm. It's about to go down. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the U.S. Olympic Team Trials for Women's Boxing. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, boxing fans. Thanks for joining us on this historic occasion. We are set to begin the action. Boxing out of the red corner, the 16-year-old sensation. Let's give it up for Clarissa Shield. When I step in the ring, it's like I step into a whole different dimension. It's like everything outside of the ring is black. Can't nobody else get in there and help you. Coach, he can't get in the ring and fight with you. You don't have your dad, mom. When we get in the ring, you don't have nobody but yourself. Let's get it on, round number one. This it, this it right here, let's go. Everything there, go get on it. There you go, beautiful jab. That jab looking good. Fast start for Clarissa Shields, lots of speed on that jab. Come on, rest. keep your hands up, hands up. Come on, baby. Clarissa Shields lands her right hand to the body, but Tika Hemingway trying to muscle Clarissa backward now. You're getting points, Russ. See, I'll point you, Russ. Russ, do you hear me? Let's go. Fight, Russ. Fight, Russ. Fight. Clarissa Shields with her back to the corner, trying to keep her opponent off of her. Go to her, Russ. Go. Go to her. I mean, man, I don't want her to lose no fight. But being a fighter is all about coming back. That's when you find out the true character of a person. And if she can come back, well, then we'll know. And that's the end of the round. Come on, show me something. Look alive. No, you ain't tired. Don't you never say you I said I got it. Come on. So you heard Clarissa Shields, coach, telling her to look alive. And Clarissa answers with, I've got it. Final round, round number four. Come on, Rex, last round. Everything on the line, right now. Big right hand and a hook from Clarissa Shields. There you go, working here, working here. Now she's bringing uppercuts right up the center. Clarissa boxes her way off the ropes. Nice, that's how you break it off. Woo! Clarissa Shields very comfortable now. She's throwing heavy leather. Ah, there you go. Ah, there you go. We're coming nice. into the final seconds. Clarissa Shields waiting for Tika to come forward. That's the Let's end of the round. For an outstanding bout. Ladies and gentlemen, I have your winner with a score of 23 to 18. Boxing out of the red corner, Clarissa Shields! Clarissa Shields is your United States of America team champion!
done. You hear me? We done it. Okay. Good. <laughs> wow. My name is Clarissa Shields. I always knew I was going to be something. I just didn't know what. Clarissa Shields from Flint, Michigan. That story aired on NPR in 2012. Five months later, Clarissa won the gold medal in the London Olympics. I just remember being on the podium, and I'm like, holy crap, this medal is huge, and it was so heavy, and when he put it on, I just I just held it and looked at it, it was like, I thought I was about to go crazy. I wanted to jump down and run around the ring and jump on the ropes and put my hands in the air holding the gold medal, just shaking and laughing, and it was like somebody handed me a million dollars and said, here you go. Four years after the London Games, Clarissa was back at the Olympics, this time in Rio, where she won another gold medal. Clarissa is the only American boxer to have ever won back-to-back Olympic gold medals. After that, she turned pro, and she's won all four major boxing titles. Her record is 10-0, undefeated. She has achieved her boxing dream. Clarissa is 25 now, and with boxing shut down during COVID, she has turned her attention to a different kind of dream. She bought a house. Sujay Johnson, my wife, has been following Chris's boxing career for almost a decade now. She co-produced the audio diary with me and then went on to make a film about Clarissa. And Sue spoke with Clarissa recently to ask about her life these days. The idea of Clarissa owning a house is wild to me because I've known her since she was 16. I met her at a boxing tournament in 2011. I was photographing and interviewing the women who were competing to be on the first ever Olympic team for women's boxing. It was Clarissa's first adult tournament and she made heads turn. She was faster and stronger than any other boxer. But what really caught my attention was this determined look in her eyes. That and the way she thumped her chest when she won, like she was already the greatest. Clarissa's one of my favorite people. It's been a privilege to have a front row seat on her life all these years, including this new chapter. Ever since she was 16, she told me she wanted two things, a gold medal, she got her first one a year later, and a house, a safe place for her and her family. All right. She gave me a little tour of it on FaceTime. So here we are at my house. This is my fireplace here. On top of my fireplace, I have, of course, my TV. Then I have the 2020 Barbie doll of the year. That's my um, smoke detector. I haven't changed the batteries. It's nice. Not massive, but big. Brick and gray vinyl siding with generous windows. A two-car garage. It's got three bedrooms. A jacuzzi in the master bathroom, which was a big selling point. She says when she first saw the living room, she thought she'd need three or four couches to fill the space. There's also a pool in the back that she says can fit about 20 people. And a yard. In the dining room, a long, welcoming table set for eight. And at the head of it, a hint of her royalty. The queen chair is down there. Oh. That's my is my chair. All the all the other chairs don't even have the studded diamonds. That one does. You have a chair studded with real diamonds. Why not, Sue? Because you have a throne. I don't know. Just it's only, it's only two that. chairs. It only two chairs, so it didn't like cost like that much. And then we come over here where I have my trophy case, which I only got one more drawer to fill. 
turning 25, the most exciting thing that I've done is buy my house. I'm like a big person with numbers. So 25, you know, two plus five is seven and seven is my favorite number. So I knew that something special would happen at 25 in my life, but I just didn't see me like buying a, like, like buying a house. It all just kind of just happened. Just, I just feel like it's the opposite of what I grew up in. Clarissa never had a solid home for very long growing up. She lived at something like a dozen addresses before she was 17, had to deal with all kinds of abuse and deprivation, and it started early. She was moved out of her mom's place when she was five. And I lived with my grandmother till the age of nine. And all this time I spent away from my younger brothers and my sisters. Um, also, too, moving back in, my mom abusing alcohol and um, moved out from with my mom and moved in with my coach, Jason. That was my decision. Jason and his wife, Mickey. Clarissa calls her Mama Mickey. That was when she was 17, the first time she had her own bed, her own room. She was there a little more than a year, then started living on her own. Lived in Colorado for a couple years, and Florida for a couple more. Always rented. So now, having an entire house of her own, it's a big deal. And I have to say, like, I've had some great moments in my life as I am a two-time Olympic gold medalist and nine-time world champion and three-division world champion faster than any other male boxer in history. But any other boxer in history, period. But when I got the keys to my house, it was this overwhelming feeling of, like, joy and internal happiness of knowing that I'll never be homeless ever again in my life. Like, I'll never have to worry about where I'm going to live. You know, my family, if they need somewhere to come stay... If I can't find them somewhere to stay, I always have an extra room for them. And it just gave me, like, this whole sense of just, like, you really grown now. <laughs> I'm in, I have a therapist now just to help me deal with the stress of just not being able to fight. All of her fights were canceled this year because of coronavirus. She says it's been really hard on her. Because I'm used to fighting all the time and being on TV and always being on the go. And it's like having to deal with all the trolls on Instagram and Twitter and just deal with life in general and how to express my emotions, not with anger, but and not with tears and not sinking to depression. Depression has got too hard to deal with by myself. So that's 25-year-old decisions, putting yourself in therapy. I couldn't imagine being 17 owning a house. <laughs> like, it just wouldn't work out. <laughs> like, I would, I would throw parties all the time. <laughs> to paraphrase Corinthians, when Clarissa was a kid, she had the dreams of a kid. She told me when she was 16 that she wanted to have 10 children by the age of 26, not factoring in the difficult math of that or how 10 pregnancies might affect her boxing career. She laughs about that now, but the spirit of that dream has stayed with her surrounding herself with family, being a protector. And slowly, the details became more realistic. She thought winning the gold medals would lead to a bunch of endorsement deals, and that she could buy a house not just for herself, but for her mom, preferably somewhere other than Flint, which can be pretty rough. 
But the endorsements didn't materialize, so she made the transition from the amateurs to the pros, started earning a steady living as a boxer. And she thought she could at least convince her family to move away with her, which is why it was surprising to me that she wound up with a house in Flint. I remember the goal that you had was to get out of Flint. Mm -hmm. That was one of the reasons why you wanted to get the gold medal, so that you and your family could get out of Flint is you wouldn't have to live there. I just know I wanted a better life for myself. You know, I wanted to be more uh, financially stable. I wanted to have, you know, food, a bed. So I don't really think it was like not being in Flint. I think it's more of like, I just don't want to be poor. And what about like getting your family out? You used to talk a lot about getting your family out of Flint to like, you know, keep them safe. Over time, I've also tried that. Like when I moved to Florida, my younger brother moved with me. But my younger sister, my mother, wouldn't, wouldn't come. It was like, all right, so now I'm just in Florida with none of my family except my little brother. Y'all be quiet a little bit. While we were talking, four of Clarissa's nieces were huddled together on the big gray sectional sofa in the living room. Her nieces and nephews are over a lot these days, playing video games, jumping in the pool. She's strict with them sometimes when the house gets messy. She makes her nephew, Fat Daddy, do the vacuuming but she likes having them all there. And there aren't 10 of them, there are 11. She's filled her house with a bevy of kids like she wanted, just not in the way she expected. Which is true generally for her at the moment. The life she has now, with the house in Flint, it's not what she imagined, but it fits all her needs and desires. It's what boxers do. They respond to what's thrown at them and they adjust. But she says this isn't the end. She still has big dreams. In fact, she just announced that she signed a multi-year deal to be a mixed martial arts fighter, where the money is better for women. She wants to buy a second house, a mansion in Vegas. Sujay Johnson with Clarissa Shields. This story originally aired on This American Life in December as part of their 25th anniversary special, Thanks to Sean Cole, who produced the story, and the whole staff at This American Life. The film about Clarissa is called T-Rex. It's a truly beautiful and intimate documentary. And of course, it's about so much more than boxing. Boxing. You can find it on pbs.org. Org. Org. Poverty is the apex predator of hope. Arise from hopelessness takes an unwavering, defiant disposition sprinkled in some God-given talent, and you have the quote, the greatest woman of all times, Flint, Michigan's extraordinary daughter, Clarissa Shields. <laughs> Winning an Olympic gold medal can be a financial life changer, but for many athletes, the reality is different. U.S. boxer Claressa Shields knows that reality. We first met Claressa on this program four years ago. Back then, she was a high school student from Flint, Michigan, with a big goal. I have this dream. I'm in England, London, and it's the finals in the Olympics. I, I, I can hear the announcer. I mean, they're going to say it. Like, and the first woman Olympian at 165 pounds is Clarissa Shields. And in my dream, 
I'm just looking around and I'm just thinking to myself, like, how did I get here? Clarissa was 17 when she recorded that. Our partner, Radio Diaries, had given her a tape recorder as she fought to make it to the 2012 Olympics in London. It was the first time women were allowed to box in the Games, and Clarissa Shields made history. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner by a score of 19 points to 12, an Olympic gold medalist in the red corner representing the United States of America, Clarissa Shields. Well, now, another Summer Olympics is just over a week away in Rio. Producer Sue J. Johnson says Shields has a different view going into these games. She's been following the boxer for the past four years, and she brings us this update. When I first met Clarissa, I was in a dimly lit auditorium in Toledo, Ohio, photographing the women who were trying to be the first to box in the Olympics. A quiet teenage girl with short hair, thick biceps, and a determined stare entered the ring. It was her first fight against adult women. I hadn't seen anyone fight so fiercely, so unrestrained. She dispatched her opponent before the end of the first round. Clarissa had been training in the basement of a small neighborhood gym in Flint, one of the most dangerous cities in the country. Few people had seen her fight. Less than a year later, she was in London with a gold medal around her neck. I just remember being on the podium, and I'm like, this medal is huge, and it was so heavy. And when he put it on, I just, I just held it and looked at it and was like... I thought I was about to go crazy. I wanted to jump down and run around the ring and jump on the ropes and put my hands in the air holding a gold medal, just shaking and laughing. And it was like somebody handed me a million dollars and said, here you go. Clarissa slept with the gold medal wrapped around her wrist for weeks. After years working toward the singular goal, she'd achieved it. But just days after the Olympics, Clarissa remembers sitting on her coach's living room and thinking, now what? You know, I guess I've won the Olympic gold medal, and I don't even know what to think about now. You know, I don't even know what to dream about. That was my dream for years. You know, I, I was literally going to sleep, and I would see all black. Like, like I wasn't able to dream because my dream had been accomplished. Now I'm like, what do I do now? There she was, back in high school, living with her coach because it was too unstable at home. Clarissa was getting $1,000 a month as a member of the U.S. national boxing team. But those earnings were going to help her family pay her mom's water bill, help her brother in prison. Everybody was just saying, you know, you should be signed with Nike. You should be on a Wheaties box. How come aren't you in this magazine? Why aren't you in that magazine? And it got to the point where I just kind of shut everybody out and was like, I can't hear that no more. I really can't dwell on what I didn't get, you know. Why didn't any of those things happen? Why no endorsements? Why no money? Why no sponsorship? I don't know. I don't know why it didn't happen. I just, I just kind of take it as... I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it, I guess. You know, just like the ideal woman, I wasn't. I wasn't the pretty girl, you know, who wears her hair straight. And I don't know. I just know that that wasn't, that I guess I wasn't what they were looking for. After one tournament, Clarissa and her coach met with USA Boxing officials about a PR strategy. I, I know you're trying to get um, some sponsorships and endorsements, et cetera. They had one suggestion. Clarissa should stop talking about how she likes to beat people up. You love me to stop saying that? Yeah, yes. stop saying that. <laughs> Why? When it comes to somebody wanting to get behind me and saying, I want this person to represent my brand. I box. I understand right, that. Right, right. I, I understand what you she's saying. You understand what I'm saying? It's like an image thing. It's kind of tone her down a little bit. Their, their definition of a woman, you know, you can be tough, but not too tough. 
And it's like, if I want to get in there and kick a girl's ass, I'm getting there and kick her ass. That's it. You might as well have told me to start punching my opponents a little bit softer when I fight them so people won't feel so threatened. It's one thing for a girl to fight, but to admit that you like it, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Until 2012, boxing was the last male-only sport in the Olympics. Women in the ring? It's a stretch for advertisers and promoters and even many fans. Even Clarissa's own father had trouble with it, and he was a boxer. Her dad had been in prison most of her childhood. In her radio diary, Clarissa and her dad remember when she was 11 and they first talked about boxing. He told her it was too bad he didn't have any sons to train. So I was like, okay, maybe you can kind of like live your dream through me a little bit. And about a week later, you know, you asked me, could you box? And my answer was, hell no. Do you remember the exact words that, that you said? You said boxing is a man's sport. That made me so, it made me so mad. And you should have took it that way. That was a chauvinist <laughs> statement that a girl can't do it. So, you know, you, you was right. And I've been at it ever since. I'm still proving people wrong. Truth be known, I just think, little mama, you are awesome. Proving people wrong, it's one of Clarissa's biggest motivations. Right now, her record is 74-1. and one. She hasn't lost in four years. Her goal is to be unstoppable, undeniable, because that's what will make people respect and pay attention to women's boxing, and her. To focus on the summer games in Rio, last year Clarissa moved to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. She's gotten away from the chaos and stress of life in Flint. She's seen a bigger world, and that's what she wants for her mom and younger brother and sister. Well, after this Olympics, I want to move my family to Florida or to a better place, you know, where they can be safer and where they can make a living for themselves. I want my family to see the things that I've seen, and I want to see how they feel about it. This time around, it's about more than a gold medal. Clarissa wants to follow in the footsteps of another young black Olympic boxer who redefined beauty and power both in and out of the ring. And like Muhammad Ali, Clarissa's pretty confident. In Rio, the way that I see it, what's going to happen is everybody's going to be talking about that girl Clarissa Shields can fight. You're pretty sure you're going to win? I know for a fact I'm going to win the Olympics again. I just, I know already. I just, I'm just telling you what's going to happen. I'm going to win. Period. On August 17th, Clarissa will be back in the ring to defend her Olympic gold medal. For NPR, I'm Sue J. Johnson. Johnson. Confidence, confidence is fragile. Confidence, confidence is dependent. Confidence, confidence needs to be nurtured. Confidence, confidence must be informed and taught about its power. Power. Confidence, confidence, coupled with ambition and will, seeks inspiration. Inspiration. Confidence, confidence, ambition, will, and inspiration is the recipe for hope. For hope. (laughs) 
One of the last medals awarded at the Rio Olympics went to a 21-year-old boxer from Flint, Michigan, Claressa Shields. It was gold. With that, Shields became the first U.S. boxer ever to win back-to-back gold medals. On the podium, after the medal was put on her neck, she reached into her pocket, pulled out her 2012 gold medal, and put that one on, too. Now her future looks brighter than ever. NPR's Melissa Block watched Shields' final bout in Rio and spoke with her afterwards. Introducing the boxer in the red corner. Just before the fight, Claressa Shields paced in her corner, coiled with energy, staring down her Dutch opponent. Shields wore knee socks that said Superman, with the superhero's shield peeking out over the top of her boxing shoes. And Shields proved invincible in the ring. Just a few months ago, she beat this same opponent, Nushka Fontaine, to win the world championship. Fontaine is taller, but Shields proved faster and stronger. She was slippery, ducking under Fontaine's swings. She pummeled her with sharp punches, taunting her at one point to bring it on. In the end, after four rounds, the judges were unanimous, and Shields knew it. She danced joyfully even before the referee raised her hand in victory. Shields turned a cartwheel in the ring. She grabbed an American flag from her father, who was sitting ringside, and ran a victory lap around the arena, the flag flying behind her like a superhero's cape. Boxing was Shields' salvation from a tough childhood in Flint. Her father was in prison until she was nine. Her mother was an alcoholic, and the kids would often go hungry. Claressa has spoken about being sexually abused as a child. She reflected on that troubled past in a news conference right after her Olympic medal ceremony. I have been through a lot in my life, but I want to inspire people because I remember when I was one of those kids who didn't have any hope. And just when I got just a little bit, look how far I've been able to come. When I spoke with Shields later, she admitted that the night before the final, she had a moment of panic. I was like, can you actually do this? It had me questioning myself for a minute, and then I was like, of course you can. I had to make that decision last night that if I had to outbang her, had to outbox her, had to outthink her, I can do all three, so what's the problem? No problem. Claressa Shields' record is now 77 wins, one loss. She'll be leaving Rio with a $25,000 gold medal bonus from the U.S. Olympic Committee, and she has a plan. She won't be going back to live in Flint, Michigan. I still love my hometown, and I'm still going to be involved in my hometown, but I just can't live there. (laughs) I'm happier in Florida. Every time I go to Florida, I have this overwhelming feeling that I'm happy every day. I wake up in the morning wanting to train and run at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I can get out and do that and be safe doing it. Florida will be where I live. Also, a Hollywood studio has bought the rights to a film based on her life story. Hopefully um, I'm a household name now, which I don't doubt. When Claressa went home from the London Olympics four years ago, even though she was a gold medal champion, endorsements didn't follow. There was no Wheaties box, no deal with Nike. She was advised to stop boasting about how she likes to beat people up. The thing is, they had this weird definition of what a strong woman was, and for some reason, that definition was pretty, not sweaty, and not as muscular. And one, I'm, I'm very pretty, I think I'm fine. I'm, I'm gorgeous. But the fact of it is that 
when you're boxing, I look so strong, and I'm punching so hard, and I'm punching so fast, and you make people feel intimidated. I think now people are starting to embrace that. The definition of a strong woman is Layla Ali, Lucia Riker, Serena Williams, Clarissa Shields. I think it's not going to be hard to, for me to get endorsements, you know, because everybody wants a, you know, tough, strong woman in their life. Confidence, confidence is fragile. Confidence, confidence is dependent. Confidence, confidence needs to be nurtured. Confidence, confidence must be informed and taught about its power. Its power. Confidence, confidence coupled with ambition and will seeks inspiration. Confidence, confidence, ambition, will, and inspiration is the recipe for hope, for hope. Poverty is the apex predator of hope, arise from hopelessness, takes an unwavering, defiant disposition, sprinkled in some God-given talent, talent, and you have the quote the greatest woman of all times, Flint, Michigan's extraordinary daughter, Clarissa Shields. Shields. This station has interrupted its regular program at the request of the During this emergency, most we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Today is time to stop singing and stop swinging. All broadcasters cable systems show that it's emergency action notification message. We are coming to get our check. You are now listening to to P-A-R. That's People Activity Radio. Radio. And I'm your host, John G. Horse. Horse. Ever since I was a little child, I've been starving. Welcome. You have found your family in a peaceful place. PAR is a family-friendly information distribution program seeking seeking to inform non-white people, in particular, black classified and assisting in counter-racist codification. Yeah.
Star is a family-friendly information distribution program dedicated to creating less confusion for people subject to non-white in particular black classification. Less confusion with the ultimate goal of solving problems. Replace the system of racism white supremacy with a system of justice. Immediately. Immediately. John G. Horses Cash App is dollar sign capital J, O, H, N, capital H, O, R, S, E. Feel free to donate if you feel this program is constructive and worth your time. Feel free to donate if you feel this program is constructive and worth your time. You know how we do here on PAR, People Activity Radio. Especially when we think the beat is popping, popping. And your spirit Where do we begin? Where do we begin is always the question. And this is your gracious and humble host, John J. Horse. Welcome. You have indeed found your family in a peaceful place. The title of today's episode is Defiant Confidence and Greatness. One more again, the title of today's episode is Defiant Confidence and Greatness. And if you ain't know, if you don't know, we are talking about Clarissa Shields, the greatest woman of all time as it pertains to the sweet science of professional boxing. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Clarissa Shields, Flint, Michigan's golden girl, the greatest woman of all time. Just ask her, she'll tell you. Driven, defiant, Dedicated, disciplined, relentless, fearless, inspirational, a national treasure. Once again, if you ain't know, we talking about the great Clarissa Shields. And you gonna ask old John G, why on earth are you doing a show about Clarissa Shields? Who is Clarissa Shields? Why do you think it's important to inform your audience about this individual? You like to hear it, hear it go. Our John G is a boxing fan, a little bit more than a casual. I partake from time to time when I have time on the weekend, sit down with my attempted family, and we watch boxing yes I understand that it's violent it's a combat sport high levels of CTE I get it but truth be told there's a lot of things that ain't good for you that old John G participates in old John G is not a saint that being said let's move on In this case, 
I was watching this weekend with my attempted family a match between Clarissa Shields and some opponent that I don't care to remember the name because I was watching just to see Clarissa Shields box. And it dawned on me, boxing is about stories. Boxing is about a journey, dedication, discipline. And I really, personally, I'm going to admit this, did not know the story of Clarissa Shields. And once I began to investigate, I was taken back by my ignorance, number one. And number two, why isn't this story on the front pages, on the front screens on the front frequencies of United States pop culture. Because Clarissa Shield is the living embodiment of whatever you want to call the American dream. The ability to control your own destiny no matter where your beginnings may start from and put it in your head that you are going to dedicate yourself to your pursuit of happiness. Our beloved Clarissa Shield was born at the bottom. You understand me? Poverty. Abject poverty. I don't want to say a home was broken because she didn't have a home to break. Her father was in greater confinement. Her mother was a victim and or a substance abuser. And sometimes she would abuse our beloved Clarissa Shields. Surrounded by a toxic environment, drugs, Pimping and pandering, child predators, and I'm not going to delve into that. You can use your imagination of what our beloved Clarissa Shield was subject to. By the time she was two years old, her father had a stint in jail, which had him leave her at two years old, and by the time she was nine, that's when he was coming out. And according to old Clarissa, and I get this from this very inspiring, informative documentary called T-Rex, and it is about Clarissa Shields and her Olympic triumph trials and tribulations and this just was a camera around Clarissa when she was the young age of 16 and to see where she had come from she had every excuse in the world to not have an intestinal fortitude and the drive to get up out of that bottom dwelling environment she had every excuse in the world homeless 
basically, because she was ducking and dodging sexual predators that was in and out of where her mama resided. And eventually, through hard work, dedication, tenacity, and the assistance of her boxing coach, Jason, if you watch the documentary, you'll get all these tidbits, but I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. She was able to qualify to qualify for the first ever Olympic trials for women's boxers in the history of the Olympics in 2012 when she was the age of 16, a junior in high school. And upon going to the trials, her lifelong coach ever since she was nine years old, 11 years old, I'm sorry, he was unable to make the qualifying trip, which left Clarissa on her own going to the biggest tournament of her life. Everything that she had worked up up to that point, all her focus, all her drive, all her dedication was focused on these trials and the individual that was with her from the beginning, from the rooter to the tutor, was not able to go due to financial inadequacies, for the lack of a better term. And the 16-year-old Clarissa Shields went to the Olympic trials, the qualifying trials for the Olympics, out of the country by herself. And she suffered her first loss in the qualifying trials. She could have gave up. She could have quit. There was her excuse. She could have blamed Jason. But she kept going. And she won the rest of her bouts in the Olympic qualifiers, which gave her a chance to qualify for the Olympic team. The first ever Olympic trials for the sport of boxing for women in the history of the Olympics. And she qualified. That in itself was an accomplishment coming from where she came from doing homework, training for boxing, sleeping on cousins' couches, sleeping on floors, sleeping at auntie's houses, uncle's houses, and ultimately winding up at her coach's home who had a family of his own. He had to take her in because she had to focus on her opportunity, the opportunity that she created for herself from her dedication and hard work. What do you mean, John G? All uh, competitors, all people who compete are dedicated. That's not true. Our beloved Cla Clarissa Shields was one of the very few girls in the boxing gym in Flint, Michigan. Not only that, she sparred with mostly boys. She trained with boys. You understand me? She developed 
a relationship, a real tight bond with her coach, Jason, working free of charge for the community, I might add, with his own family and obligations. But I digress. She developed a close bond with Jason because on Friday nights at the gym, most of the young men that were training and supposed to be dedicated, they was going out partying and having fun. But Clarissa, she was continue to show up at the gym. And it was just her and Jason. Jason could have said, hey, ain't nobody here. Won't you go and take a break? And I'll see you Monday, Clarissa. But he didn't do that. Jason saw the defiant confidence of this young girl at the time. And he invested time, energy, wisdom, and he nurtured her confidence. He nurtured that defiance. He nurtured her drive. He nurtured her dedication. And she wanted more and more and more of that nutrition because she was hungry. Our beloved Clarissa Shields, the golden girl of Flint, Michigan, subject to non-white black classification in these United States of America. Surrounded by crime, the murder capital of the world, surrounded by toxicity, death, drugs, alcoholism, pimping, pandering, child predators buzzing around her like buzzard, buzzards. Clarissa Shields stayed focused and qualified for the first ever Olympics in the history of Olympic trials that allowed women to box at the tender age of 16 years old. And she went to the Olympics. And she won gold. Yes, indeed, she did. And upon winning gold, our beloved Clarissa was on Clyde nine, Cloud Nine. Her and her coach, Jason, and her family members were on Cloud Nine because... As per tradition, whenever Olympic athletes are on televisions in people's living rooms day in, day out, throughout the pageantry of the Olympics, what they are actually doing is putting themselves in a position to get endorsements from major institution or brands. Wheaties, Nike, you understand. This means steady Income and in our beloved Clarissa's case, thoughts of that income could assist her and her family who are in abject poverty to get up out that situation. You do understand the importance of endorsements from this perspective, from this context. But to her surprise, 
16, 17-year-old gold medalist. First female gold medalist boxer in the history of United States female boxing. The Trailblazer. You understand me? There were no endorsements. She could have quit. She could have gave up. She could have succumbed to the alcoholism, the drug addiction, the toxin, the pipping and pandering. She could have used all that as an excuse. Nobody wants me to succeed. I don't want a gold medal. And I ain't even got no endorsements. I know the doubt was swirling around with all the toxicity of her environment like buzzards in her subconscious. But she didn't quit. Our beloved Clarissa Shields kept a pushing. And with the modest $1,000 a month that she was getting from her sponsors or the Olympic Committee, I forget where she was getting this little measly uh, compensation from. She continued to train. The tender age of 16, she won a gold medal, turned 17, 18, 19, and she qualified for the 2016 Olympics. Now, there has never been a person in the history of boxing to win gold medal twice in the history of boxing. Guess who did, though? Our beloved Clarissa Shields won a second gold medal. Y'all don't hear me. She won a second gold medal still surviving still dealing with issues as it pertains to the toxicity that her family some of her family members were subject to at this point she had been able to remove herself from the toxicity of dirty water murder capital Flint Michigan through her drive her defiant confidence, her dedication, her discipline, her relentlessness, her fearlessness. Nothing was given to Clarissa. Everything was earned. She pulled herself up off of her oh, I'm sorry. She pulled herself by her up by her own bootstraps. Excuse the tongue-tiedness. It happened from time to time. What I'm going to do right now is read off a couple of our beloved Clarissa Shields, T-Rex, Flint's Golden Girl, the United States two-time Olympic gold medal boxing, women's boxing champ. The only person to have ever done that, man or woman. If you didn't know, now you know. Clarissa Maria Shields, born March 17, 1995, is an American professional boxer and mixed martial artist. Oh, by the way, she does participate in mixed martial arts. Let's move on. 
She has held multiple world championships in three weight classes, including the undisputed female light middleweight title since March 2021. The undisputed female middleweight title from 2019 to 2020 and the unified WC and IBF female super middleweight titles from 2017 to 2018. Shields currently holds the record for becoming a two and three weight world champion in the fewest professional fights. As an Octo as of October 2022, she is ranked as the world's best active female middleweight by Box Rec, as well as the best active female boxer pound for pound by ESPN and the ring. Shields is the only boxer in history, female or male, to hold all four major world titles in boxing, WBA, WBC, IBF, and WBO, simultaneously in two weight classes. In a decorated amateur career, Shields won gold medals in the women's middleweight division at the 2012 Olympics and the 2016 Olympics, like I done told y'all already, making her the first American boxer to win consecutive Olympic medals. Shields was the youngest boxer at the February 2012 U.S. Olympic trials, winning the event in the 165-pound middleweight division in May. She made qualify. She qualified for the 2012 Games, the first year in which women's boxing was an Olympic event, and went on to become the first American woman to win an Olympic gold medal in boxing. In 2018, the Boxing Writers Association named her Female Fighter of the Year. I'm not finished with her accolades, but I'm going to stop right there because I was inspired by her story to actually create a video article about a living legend, trailblazer, 28 years old right now, Clarissa Maria Shields. If you find this information constructive, I highly recommend seeking and looking for the documentary titled T-Rex. And it is about Clarissa Maria Shields and her life's journey to be the greatest woman of all time. She ain't done. She's walking amongst us right now. Ask yourself, do you know who she is? Old John G thought that this was constructive, and I hope, and I hope I have contributed to less confusion. And always remember, keep learning, keep learning, and stay codified. Stay codified.